I hope your, uh, your Christmas was special and full of joy. I hope it was a wonderful time. Uh, you know, we, we were actually able to spend Christmas uh, with some family. And, you know, that doesn't always happen for us. We've had some Christmases where it's been just Sarah and I. And, um, but we were able to go and actually visit with some of Sarah's family this year. And that was, that was special. Um, but I hope your Christmas was, was one that was full of joy. Uh, that you were able to find joy no matter what the circumstances, remembering the birth of Christ. You know, we had a, a wonderful Christmas Eve service here a couple of nights ago. Man, the kids did such an amazing job. They really did, didn't they? They, they sang so beautifully. Not only that, the Chimes Choir did wonderful as well. And it was just a wonderful time celebrating and remembering the birth of Christ. We've been working through uh, this series, Hope is Born, but let me give you a, a heads up about where we're headed in the next couple of weeks. Um, next, next week is 2020, right? And so you're going to get to hear all the jokes, oh man, I haven't seen you in a year and stuff like that, or I haven't seen you in a decade, right? Now that's going to be the one this time. Um, but next Sunday, we're actually going to have a vision Sunday. We're going to talk about where we're going, some things that we're going to see happening in 2020 here at Mount Vernon. Some things that are going to be a little different, some things that are going to be the same, how we're going to emphasize certain areas, but that's going to be next week. So I encourage you to come out. Take the time to come next Sunday. Following that, we're going to be starting a new series on the Apostles' Creed. What do you believe? Have you ever thought about that before? What do you really believe? And if someone comes up to you and says, man, so what does it mean that you believe in God? Who is God? Who's Jesus? The Holy Spirit, what does that mean? So we're going to look through that because I think it's important that we know what we believe, that we're firmly rooted in the Word of God. But today we're going to continue our last sermon here in the Hope is Born series, continuing in the Christmas theme. We looked at Mary, we looked at the shepherds, we looked at Simeon, and we're continuing in the timeline. And this week we're going to talk about some wise men. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew chapter 2. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, there's a pew Bible or you can follow on the screen. We're going to go verses 1 to 12 this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Father, we ask this morning that that you would move, you would communicate your truth clearly. Uh, Father, may it be your truth this morning that's communicated, not anyone else's. Father, help us to learn from the wise men this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are multiple perspectives on who these wise men were. We don't know a lot about them, right? It's a small passage in Scripture, very limited of what we actually understand about the wise men or the magi. Some people believe they were kings, right, that had traveled a great distance. Now let me put this into perspective just so we understand. It wasn't that Jesus was born and the shepherds came and then that night the wise men showed up, right? This could have been a year later. It could have been two years later before the wise men came. And there's a couple of reasons that we we see that. One, that Mary and Joseph were now in a house. Um, It's just one of, of those reasons. But there's a lot of things we don't know about the wise men. And today we're not going to focus on those. We're going to focus on what the wise men teach us. There are multiple lessons that we can learn from them. And the first one is this. The wise men knew how to study God's word. They knew how to study God's word, or at least the parts that they would have had. Matthew 2 says this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They knew that the king of the Jews, the Messiah, was to be born. They understood that. We don't know much about these men, but we do know one of the things we know is that they studied what they had of God's word. They were aware of it. You and I, and you've heard this over and over and over again, at least I hope you had since Sarah and I have been here, is that you and I live in the most blessed generation ever of having access to the Word of God. I'm holding up my iPad, but my iPad has the Bible on it too. We have digital resources. We have paperback, hardback. You can pull up different translations. You can buy commentaries. You can get commentaries for free. We have so many different resources to study the Word of God. Do we do so? Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Maybe one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, but think about it. The wise men knew the scriptures that had been written, and they see a light. Your word, your promises, light my path. On January 13th, uh, we're starting the Apostles' Creed series, but we're also going to be starting our New Testament challenge. Now, you've heard a lot about it. So here's the time when I'm actually going to explain what it is, right? All the suspense I know you've been dying to hear, right? Um, but but what, it, what it's going to be is we are going to walk through the New Testament 
together as a family, right? We at Mount Vernon, we're a family, right? That's part of being the assembly of believers. We're a family here. And what we're going to do is we are going to read through the whole New Testament together. But you're not going to be by yourself. Um, there are multiple ways that you can do it. The whole point of it is for us to get into the Word of God and to develop a habit of doing so. It's so easy to leave your Bible sitting on the nightstand or dust a little bit of dust off before you come to church that it accumulated over the last week. It happens, right? But we want to develop a habit of reading God's Word. And there are going to be different people from Mount Vernon who will be writing daily devotionals that will go along with your reading. And there's going to be ways that you, different ways you can do it. One is you can actually take your hard copy of the Bible, and this is a hymnal, but it helps you understand, your hard copy of the Bible, and you can follow along. We'll have paper handouts for you to take with you. Another way is you can go through an app, and we're going to give you all this information, but called Read Scripture, which actually has it all broken down for you already, and will give you daily reminders on your phone to read the Bible and read the passage, getting in the habit of studying and reading God's word. Next week and the following week in your bulletins, just like the inserts are in this week, um, there's going to be a commitment card. And it's going to say this. We would love for you to participate with us. We want you to be a part of this. But we, we know how easy it is, and I know how easy it is, to say, yeah, I'm going to do that, but life happens, right? It gets busy, and then we don't follow through. And so what we're actually going to ask you to commit to is reading through the New Testament between now and June. Not that you have to follow every day of the schedule because life happens, but that you're going to read through it somewhere in that time period. We hope you read with us, but somewhere in that time period because we want to be people who know God's word. That's one of the ways God speaks to us is through his word. So these wise men, they knew God's word. But we know, as I've said, <clears throat> that life happens. We, we are not only the most blessed generation to have all of Scripture, but aren't, don't we seem to be the busiest generation to ever have existed either? I mean, my goodness. You're going from one place to another place. It seems like children today are busier than ever, right? Life is, life is crazy, but these wise men, they not only knew God's word, but they pursued and they sought after Jesus. The wise men came from the east. Um, that most likely would have been somewhere Persia or modern-day Iran, something along those lines. That means they would have had to travel eight to 900 miles to get to Jesus. Can you imagine? Eight to 900 miles to get to Jesus. See, when we used to go fishing in Bolivia, um, we would fly out to this village, and uh, they had some horses there, and we'd hop on the horses, and we'd, we'd ride the horses out about 30 minutes-ish and get to this awesome lake where we could get piranhas and peacock bass, right? And if you're a fisherman, peacock bass, it's a great fish to fish for. Um, but we'd, we'd go out to this lake, but those of us who took horses took half an hour, but we had a lot of luggage. And so we also took an ox cart with us. And I don't know if you ever watched an ox walk before. But the ox cart would take over two hours to get to the same place. 
See, these wise men, they didn't have a truck that they could hop in and throw all their stuff in the back and say, all right, 900 miles, we're going to do this in two days, right, or one day. They didn't have a Hampton Inn to stay at as they were traveling down the road. There was no McDonald's to get a burger at, no um, Wawa to get a coffee at, unless you're a Sheets fan, right, or a Sheets to get a coffee at. Imagine going eight to 900 miles on a camel or walking. Imagine how long that would have taken. Imagine the, the perils that would have existed in their journey. Yet they continued to pursue Jesus. In our lives, distractions, we don't lack for distractions. There's always something else that we can do instead of pursuing Jesus. There's always another sports game on. There's always another thing that needs done around the house. There's always somewhere else that I need to go or, or someone else that I need to talk to when sometimes in our lives all we need to do is sit and focus on our relationship with Jesus. And the wise men had to push through the distractions through the eight to 900 miles and continue in their journey to find the Christ child. They were determined. There's a story of a, of a man. Um, let me actually, let me go there in a minute. You know, we, we, uh, we take, had taken mission trips in the past. Sarah and I would lead them to Bolivia. And they would be filled. We'd have adults and we'd have kids. And one of our rules on mission trips was nobody could take their cell phone. Right? Nobody could take their cell phone. And right when you say that, all of a sudden some people, they, they go into this panic mode, right? Because, because cell phones have become a part of what we are. We've actually been trained and, and accustomed to that. Um, but it's not only kids who can't take their phones, adults can't take their phones either. And it's funny because the adults will be looking at the kids kind of like, oh, it's going to be tough. And it's like, yeah, you, you can't either. What do you mean I can't take my phone? Because um, <coughs> let's, let's be honest, adults, we're on our phones just as much as kids sometimes. Um, but it's amazing, as, as we would start our mission trip journey, as we go to the airport, you'd see people doing this. You know, oh, where's my phone? Oh, I wasn't allowed to bring it. You know, or, or my phone's ringing. Oh, no, that's just what they call phantom vibrates, right? Like when you, you think your phone's in your pocket ringing, but it's actually not ringing, right? And, and that would happen. Or, or they'd, they'd look at me and be like, I'd get a great picture of this if I had my iPhone with me. And it's like, well, use a digital camera, you know, or, <laughs> or something like that. But as the trip continued, these, these kids who use their phones all the time, and I guess I was a hypocrite because I had my phone with me for emergency purposes only, right? <laughs> um, but I, I, uh, I had my phone with, with well, the, these kids, would, they would come and say, it's amazing how free I feel not having my phone. Like, I miss not being able to go through my Instagram story or, or whatever, but my goodness, like, I have so much more time in my day Life is so more freeing away from the distractions of life. You know, in, in our lives, we, we choose whether or not we allow distractions to interfere in our relationship with Jesus. I, I think of it sometimes like my relationship with Sarah. Um, you know, it's easy to become complacent in your marriage. It's easy to become complacent in your walk with Christ. It's easy to not invest into a marriage. It's also easy not to read my Bible to pray and seek God. But there's no growth if I choose not to invest. 
The good things in life happen when we invest in our relationship with God. That's when we see true spiritual growth in our lives. That's when I see growth in my marriage is when I make the decision to truly invest. I become determined to do so. There's a story of a, of a young guy who wanted to be a star journalist. That was his goal in life. I'm going to be a star journalist. And he lived in a small town. And because he was from a small town, he didn't really think there was much possibility for him to become a star journalist. And uh, one day there was this huge dam upstream, and the dam broke, and the town was flooded up to the roof of the homes. It was flooded. And so this young guy, he thinks, my goodness, this is the best time for me to become a journalist. I can get a great story here. And so he hops in a rowboat and he begins to row down and he sees people sitting on their roofs and he continues to row and to row and to row. And he comes to this house of this little lady who's sitting up on her roof and he ties his boat up and he sits there with her and begins to talk. And she looks at him and she said, well, there's a story you could write about. And he says, no, that's not really a story. And she said, well, there's a story you can write about. And he says, no, that's, that's not really a story. And all of a sudden he looks and he sees this straw hat. And the straw hat is, is, is moving this way on the water. And all of a sudden the straw hat turns around and starts going this way. And then it turns around and it starts going this way. <coughs> Excuse me. And the boy says, that's a story. I can write about that. Look at that. Look at that hat going back and forth. And the lady said, no, 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 that's not a story. That's my husband, Harold. He said he was going to mow the grass come hell or high water. <laughs> See, Harold was determined to mow his grass no matter what happened. How determined are we in our relationship with Jesus Christ to continue to grow. See, I should pursue my wife's heart every day, seeking the strength in our marriage, encouraging her and pointing her to Jesus. And the only way I'm ever going to go closer to God and closer to my wife is when I push through the distractions that exist in this life. When I push through my own laziness and my own selfishness and my own misplaced priorities. To seek after Christ. You know, in Luke 10, we see the story of um, Martha and Mary when Jesus comes. Right? Maybe you're familiar with this. Let me read it to you real quick. It's not going to be on the screen. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to, then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. See, Mary had realized that the most important thing in her life was Jesus. Sometimes it's the good things in life. Martha was trying to be a servant, right? Trying to do what she thought was right. But even in doing what she thought was right, she had found herself distracted. Don't allow the distractions of life to take you off course from your relationship with Jesus. Stay focused and true and steadfast. So the wise men... 
They knew God and studied his word, and they pursued and sought after Jesus. They pushed through the difficulties and the distractions, knowing that he was worth it. The next thing we see that the wise men do is they go and they worship him. After an eight to 900-mile journey, here's what the Bible says. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until, they, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, when they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We need to understand a little bit about who Herod is before we kind of talk about the worshipping part here of, of the wise men. Herod is known as being someone who was ruthless and absolutely paranoid. He thought that everybody was trying to upsurp him. So everybody was trying to take over. And so he had no problem killing one of his own children, his wives, the chief priests, if he thought he was in danger, if he thought his rule was in trouble, which gives us a little bit of understanding as we continue to move down into this um, passage. Also, one of the things that's a little bit interesting is there's the possibility that the wise men were actually from a place which would have been um, a land that might have been a little antagonistic, a little bit against Rome. And so the wise men showing up, it, it might have raised some antennas. Like, what's, what's going on here? We don't know for sure. But, but here's what we see. The wise men come and they worship Jesus. After traveling eight to 900 miles, the Bible says with exceedingly great joy. Can you imagine, after making a trip that long, finally getting to your destination? <coughs> you know, we, we uh, drive down to see Sarah's parents about once a year down in Florida. And the drive down is awesome. The drive down is great. We have so much fun, and, and we have the music on, and we're laughing, and we get some food, and it's great. The drive back takes forever. Takes forever. And, and I think of, you know, however far Florida is, we do it in a day or two days. And, um, but, but these guys, who knows how long they traveled? Months. Years. And to finally get to their destination. When we come back from Florida to finally see the final turn home. It's like, yes. They finally arrived. Charles Spurgeon, he wrote this. The star was Christ's star itself, but it also led others to Christ. It did this very much because it moved in that direction. It's a sad thing when a preacher is like a signpost, pointing the way but never following it on his own account. Such were those chief priests at Jerusalem. They could tell where Christ was born, but they never went to worship him. They were indifferent altogether to him. 
and to his birth. The wise men from, from this distant land had come because they knew something was happening. But the chief priests, they also knew. Oh, oh, the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem? And maybe, maybe they didn't go because they were so afraid of what Herod would do. We don't know for sure. But here's what we see. That these wise men come and fall down and open their treasures and give God what they have. You know what, oftentimes in our Western culture, we talk about worship, and we talk about worship confined to a 20 to 30 minute period on Sunday morning when we sing, right? That's worship, or that's at least what we talk about. But, but that's a part of biblical worship, right? Because biblical worship is a lifestyle. It's a choice that we make. Singing and praising God is absolutely a part of it. But so are the daily choices that we make. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, there's a, a man by the name of Warren Wearsby who, who does a, a lot of writing, commentary, stuff like that. And, and he writes this. He said, before we get to this part, true biblical worship so satisfies our total personality that we don't have to shop around for man-made substitutes. See, when we're truly worshiping God, we don't need the things of this earth. William Temple is, is what... He writes this, and this is what's on the screen. For worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. Worship is when we totally submit everything we have to God. It's the quickening of conscience by his holiness. The nourishment of the mind with his truth. The purifying of imagination by his beauty the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy, check that out, the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. See, worship is the daily choice. It's not confined to a, a 20 or 30 minute portion on Sunday morning or a one hour time on Sunday morning. Worship is what you do every day and the choices that we make every morning. How am I going to love my spouse? Am I bringing glory to God? Am I worshiping him through the way I treat my wife and my kids? How do I make decisions at work? Am I honest? Am I truthful? Am I pursuing God and his righteousness? How do I treat my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I loving them? Do I point people to God when something good happens or do I take the glory for myself? Worship is something that we do every day. And the wise men, they, they bring these gifts to Jesus. They, they open up their treasures. They fall down and open up their treasures and give them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Isaiah 66, 66 says this. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all of Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. It points us to the coming of Christ. But, but see, in Isaiah 66, it doesn't mention myrrh. It doesn't mention myrrh. See, the wise men came, they worshiped God, they brought these gifts. They brought gold, Right? Gold pointing to his deity, pointing to his glory. They brought frankincense, right? Which speaks of his, his pure, sinless life. And they brought myrrh. 
Myrrh was a bitter herb. And it pointed to the suffering that Christ was going to endure. Yet Isaiah 66 says nothing about myrrh. Why? Because that isn't actually referring to when Jesus came in Bethlehem. It's referring to when Christ comes again. And when Christ comes again, there'll be no need for myrrh. Because there will be, he will not be suffering at all. See, he's already won the victory. Right? Amen? He's already won the victory. Sarah and I love, there's a song, uh, Give Thanks. I can't remember who sings it. But this guy, I mean, he's so into it the whole time. And, and he says this part, he says, the fight is fixed. Go tell your friends the fight's fixed because Christ has already won the victory. When Jesus comes again, there's no need for myrrh because he will not suffer because the victory has been won. They worshiped God. And the last point, the last thing, so they knew God's word. They pursued God. They worshiped him wholeheartedly. And they obeyed God instead of man. Verse 12 says this, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now we know how crazy Herod was, right? We, 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 we talk about this already. He's this paranoid leader who thinks everybody's out to get him. And he tells him, hey, you guys come back to me when you find Jesus. Not because he really wanted to worship him, right? We know that. But because he had intentions of making sure Jesus would never rise at all. But the wise men here are warned in a dream to not go back to Herod. So what do they do? They, they turn and they go a different way. I truly believe that anybody who has a truly open heart and encounters Christ will be changed forever. And we see that with the wise men. You know, our society tells us the contrary. We read story after story on the news of a sports coach who gets fired because he prays even by himself or with his athletes. Um, not that long ago, there was a, a presidential candidate who was asked the question, if, if churches oppose same-sex marriage, should they lose their tax-exempt status? And his answer was yes. Oppose same-sex marriage. And the answer was yes. What do we do when that becomes reality? We're not that far away from it. I mean, be honest. What do we do when the government mandates churches to do things that are contrary to the word of God? We see example after example of it in scripture, right? Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego bow down before the idol and they choose not to. I just wanted to make sure everybody's paying attention. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> We're going to blow the last one out, too. You guys should have let it go to see how long it took me to notice. <laughs> so, hey, thank you. Thank you. 
What do we do in life when what we believe goes contrary to what the law of the land says? Maybe not even the law of the land. What do you do when you believe goes contrary to what your boss at work tells you you have to do? Galatians 1.10 says this. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, in our lives, we will be faced with decisions that we have to make of whether or not we are going to necessarily take the easy road or take the road which follows the word of God. See, obeying God is not always easy. It takes faith. There was a story and, and it doesn't really apply to the law of the land or anything like that, but it, it applies to trusting God. Um, and I think it's very appropriate for this. There was a story of the citizens of Feldkirk, Austria. And they didn't know what to do because they look up, and up on a hill is Napoleon's massive army. The scouts had now arrived, and they were preparing to attack this little village. They summoned a council of citizens to try and decide what to do. Should they, should they gather every person that's able to fight and defend the city? Or should they wave the white flag and surrender? And they had no idea what to do. And they met in the church. And, and there the pastor who was also there, he stood up and he said, Friends, we have been counting on our own strength. And apparently that has failed. The army's here. This is Easter Sunday. It's the day of the Lord's resurrection. Let us just ring our bells and have our services and let's leave it in the Lord's hands. We know our only weakness. We know our weakness. And we know that God has the power to defend us. So the council accepted his plan. Everything else they tried, it hadn't worked. And and the, the enemy heard the church bells ringing. And what they actually thought was that the Austrian army had arrived at night and they didn't know. And so Napoleon's army broke camp <coughs> and left. In our lives, obeying God and following where he leads you to go is not easy. Sometimes it get, goes against our very nature because we want to control it. But the truth is that if you're on God's side, you're always on the right side. Matthew 16, 18 says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We, we use, <coughs> we'll often talk scriptures, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We know that this life is temporary. We must follow God instead of man and obey God instead of man. So the wise men, there, there are four things this morning. They knew the word of God. They pursued God. 
God, pushed through the distractions and difficulties. They wholeheartedly worshipped him, and they obeyed God rather than man. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the wise men. Lord, we, we, we thank you and we pray this morning as we talk about obeying God over man. Lord, we, we thank you for those that uh, are in our government. We pray for them this morning. Lord, we ask that you would work in their hearts, Father, that, that there would be revival there. Father, give us the courage to stand for you at work, at home. Father, help us to stand for you in public. Always speaking the truth in love. Father, help us to know your word. Give us the strength to continue to pursue you, even, Lord, when the journey and the distractions seem so difficult. We thank you for coming to earth. In Jesus' name.